millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. The Queen has just paid tribute to Diana, Princess of Wales, in a live broadcast to the nation. She said the princess was an exceptional and gifted woman who inspired others. There's a possibility here and an extraordinary start because they've got into the lead and uh, that little man has done it again. In a break with tradition signalling a determination to do things differently, the Blairs walked into Downing Street to be cheered by hundreds of party workers. There's his cross, it's a deep one, and it's a very deep one to Sheringham, and it's there! Sheringham has made it 1-1! After a tide of publicity, the new album by the pop group Oasis has at last reached the shops, but for some critics, the launch is as much of a marketing event as a musical one. Now it's a red card, it's a red card for Didier Deschamps. Hello everybody and welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. With Jonathan Wilson and myself this week is John Bruin, football writer and contributor to The Guardian. John, good to have you back on the pod. Thanks for having me again. Now today we're looking at Manchester United beating Juventus 3-2 in the Champions League group stage on the 1st of October 1997. Not that away tie in the semi-final in 99 in the group stage in 1997 why have you gone for this one John? Well I think um, Manchester United's rise to become European champions um, the following season in fact the 98-99 season I would say that their push towards that well historic achievement began about this point um, if, if to set the scene a little bit um, English teams had only been back in Europe since 1990. Uh, English teams in the Champions League or Old European Cup had found it exceptionally difficult. It wasn't like now where a English team would go into the Champions League and expect to reach the quarterfinals. Um, and actually, this was the first season, in fact, in which the second-place teams from uh, leagues dropped into the competition. So... It was a vastly different uh, landscape that you're looking at. And in Juventus, Juventus were the team to beat in Europe at that time. Of course, they only won one Champions League, which was back in 1996. Um, but they were the team against whom Alex Ferguson definitely measured himself or measured his team. Um, and many of the players of that era have, have said that as well. Um, and... This was a game where they'd played Juventus in the group stage the season before. They'd lost 1-0 over two matches. Uh, now, they were two of the most comprehensive 1-0 defeats you <laughs> mm. can see because um, now 
how do we look at this? Now, Juventus at that time were a team full of strong men. Now, <laughs> um, very diplomatic. Yes. And now, <laughs> I mean, we, they, they worked very hard in conditioning, didn't they? Yes, let's put it that way. And they were a, a team. I, I went to the game previously, uh, the, the season before uh, Juventus came to Old Trafford and won. Actually, that game wasn't so comprehensive because they won with a penalty. And then United in the second half, having been totally out muscled, found some belief. Ryan Giggs had a great game. Uh, but it was men against boys. And that Ferguson young team of players, the Giggs, Gary Neville, Nicky Butt, Paul Scholes, uh, David Beckham in particular, who had a great game in the game we're, we're about to talk about, or are talking about, um, they were only 22, 23. They were very young players. And this is about the time that they started to achieve maturity in Europe. And this was a, a key game for them on that path towards a treble. Mm, yeah, I, mean, I, I think it's, you know, it's interesting you mentioned mm. the, the, the one who and two in as well yeah. when Unboxer scored. And that, that sort of stands out in my memory is the, the sort of iconic game of foreigners are a lot cleverer than we are. Yes. Like, mm. they, they understand how to win a game 1-0 and make it totally safe. And it just sort of, yeah, men against boys physically, but also mentally. Juve in that game just looked a much smarter, tactically more advanced team. Um, so yeah, to 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 prove you could compete at the highest European level, you had to you yeah. had to prove it against them. Yeah, um, and you know, Marcello Lippi was the manager of mm-hmm. Juventus. Now, someone who I pulled a quote actually from Alex Ferguson's. It's not his first autobiography because he wrote wrote one at. <laughs> at, at um, at Aberdeen, but um, something that he, he wrote about uh, Lippi. Uh, Lippi is one impressive man. Looking into his eyes is enough to tell you you're dealing with someone who's in command of himself and of his professional domain. Those eyes are sometimes burning with seriousness, sometimes twi- twinkling, sometimes warily assessing you, and always they are alive with intelligence. On top of all of his other advantages, he's such a good-looking bastard, <laughs> he makes most of us look like Bella Lugosi. <laughs> so, there, there is... <laughs> Alex Ferguson really dishing out praise for uh, someone he was competing against there. So that shows you the level of respect that he had for Juventus. Yeah. I think, um, well, and, and to, well, another Ferguson quote then, when you're talking about Juventus being the sort of the, the big guys and all that, Ferguson said, I stood in the tunnel before kickoff and the Juventus players made us players look small. And Ferguson, I mean, I remember Manchester United at this time in the 90s when they really got going, they'd won the, the, the premiership as it was called back then. And they're in European competition. And I think people, unless you were a Man City or a Liverpool fan, generally speaking, I think people would support an English team in European competition. Like they would support almost like the national team. Maybe not, not that far, but I think yeah. there was there was goodwill towards English sides in, in European competition. Perhaps there's an element of that still. Or perhaps that's a bit fanciful, I don't know. Um, but in the 90s, Manchester United, I can remember them being beaten 4-0 by Barcelona and Romario running rings around them. They got a 2 all at Old Trafford and it was one hell of an achievement to not lose yeah. to one of these big heavyweights. And there, there did seem to be this glass ceiling of for English sides who you could dominate in your own country, win the league, but when you came up against Europe's heavyweights, you, as Jonathan said, they're just that bit more intelligent. They're just that little bit more cannier than us. And also they had better players. They could afford to buy better players. Sure, Zinedine Zidane was a player that they'd bought from Bordeaux a year or so before. 
Um, and Juventus at this time swapped around strikers. You mentioned Alan Boxic had Christian Vieri, mm. players like that. Neither of those played in this game, but that they were capable of signing players beyond the reach of Manchester United. Well, even Didier Deschamps, I mean, yes, of course. Obviously, yeah. he goes on or uh, just following well, yeah, yeah, yeah. to, to, to captain Francis World Cup winning team. Not, not a player who would ever kind of, you know, at, at that stage of his career a move to England would, wouldn't have occurred to him. Hmm. Yeah, and this was only just in the era when the foreign stars started coming to English football. And one thing you should mention about this Manchester United performance is that it happened without Eric Cantona. Hmm. Now, Eric Cantona had been the talismanic figure that changed fortunes round at Old Trafford, the type of player they could probably do with right now. Uh, and he had left the club um, and one of the reasons for his departure was uh, he, he'd lost it, lo- love with it, fallen out of love with the game. Uh, and one of the key moments I think in that was United the previous season actually did get to the semi-final of the Champions League. Mm. They lost over two legs to Borussia Dortmund, but never really got close to Dortmund. There was a lot of chances created, but they weren't great chances. And Cantona in particular had looked short of his best, um, and. He'd been replaced in the team by Teddy Sheringham, who in this game played a key part, though initially wasn't a particularly successful signing. So this was one of the things about Ferguson that, you know, when we look back at his 26 years at United, is that ability to regenerate a team. And this is one of his greatest challenges. Another player missing from this match, in fact, uh, he'd been injured, I think, the previous Saturday, was Roy Keane. Roy Keane and the Alf Inga Haaland incident had happened just a few days before. Um, if you actually watch the TV broadcast of this, the commentator, the great Brian Moore, mentions the fact that the United were about to issue a statement on how Roy Keane's knee was. Well, as we know, he was out for a season with a cruciate. Yeah, the incident you talk about was when Keane's injured, not the the follow-up incident. Well, no, yes, it was the first one. It was actually Roy Keane, yeah. on both cases, in fact, it was Roy Keane committing a heinous foul right. that injured someone. In the first instance, it was he injured himself. Mm. But that was where the, that, that turf war began, really. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Roy Keane is missing from this team. Uh, and so Ronnie Johnson is drafted into play centre midfield mm-hmm. and proves himself a very capable player in this match. Yeah. And at the time, as John has already said, Jonathan, Juventus were the side to beat. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, we're, I guess, at the at the tail end of the golden age of Serie A. Um, but they'd... Yeah, they they they'd been in the final. Uh, yeah, well, three times in a row was it? Uh, well, so they'd they'd um, this would this, this at the end of this season would be the third season in a row. Yeah, yeah. so they yeah. they'd, be, they, yeah, they'd been in the, the previous two mm-hmm. two finals, winning one of them. Um, Lippi, yeah, was regarded as a, probably the best manager in the world. Yeah, and you just look at that team. I mean, Del Piero, Zidane, Deschamps, um, and you know even even the centre backs Montero and Ferraro, Peruzzi and goal. Two you know two really hard lads who could play football. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Pl- plus the normal scattering you always seem to get in Italian sides that time of journeyman Italians who tend out to be really good like <laughs> Birandelli and Tacanardi and Pecchia. Yeah, yeah. And Inzaghi up front, not you know not a journeyman at all, uh, <laughs> but a uh, you know a great goal scorer for all his many faults. Yeah. Yeah. He he just signed for the club and uh, there were. Um, He'd uh, already developed a reputation for being an intensely selfish player. Yeah. Um, uh, you mentioned Montero, actually. Uh, if you watch the game back, 
uh, Montero gets away with a series of fouls. For it's which, not like him. <laughs> <laughs> to the point where uh, Big Ron Atkinson in the uh, commentary box... That's how far back we're going. <laughs> yes. Uh, said that He said, I'm convinced the referee and Montero must be related. Uh, something that Alex Ferguson afterwards said that he couldn't believe that the guy had stayed on the pitch. Actually, it was Deschamps that got sent off for a, a second yellow. One of the things about United's performance is that they started playing at an intensity that Juventus, this powerhouse of a team, couldn't deal with. So they reverted to a, let's call it a type, where they decided that they had to stop United by fouling them. We should, we should also sort of set the context that mm-hmm. um, this was when there were six groups of four, only the group winners were guaranteed to go through and the two best place runners up. So whereas now... You know, the two big teams in a group can play each other, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah, here it absolutely mattered that if you lost, suddenly that could be your, your whole Champions League out the window. Mm. And this was the second round of games, wasn't it? United had beaten Kazice, yes, um, and Juve had hammered Feyenoord, uh, I think 5 1. Yeah, I mean, it turned out that Feyenoord were a bit of a whipping boy in this yeah. group, but you, you didn't know that at the time. Um, I mean, certainly you expected Feyenoord to be better than Kazice, yes. Um, and for them to lose 5-1 you're sort of thinking Christ this year they really are good so this is the second game and United probably thinking at home we've got to beat them mm-hmm. yeah. and then what happens in the first minute <laughs> <laughs> well yes I mean I, I was at the game uh, and you know you you, you sit down uh, or you stand up actually uh, European games Old Trafford in, in that era you stood up all the way through that was the, the way it was I don't imagine it is that way these days in the Europa League. Uh, <laughs> uh, but um, that was the way that it was, you know. It, and you see Del Piero cuts uh, from a pass through, scores, scores at the United Road end, silence. Yes, it's uh, Dimash, the left back, yeah. plays his low pass towards Inzaghi, who I'm not entirely certain whether he steps over, whether he just misses it. But anyway, it sort of throws a defence. And then Del Piero, it's a brilliant little turn. Sitch Michael on his arse and he rolls it in. Yeah. You're right with the silence. Did you? Was there a feeling of, uh, we're just not up to their level? It was such a sock to the gut, really. It, it, it was. And that, that's, it, but at the same time, I think a, a lot of these games, and you still get it now with, with, with say, Liverpool in the Champions League, this just this year, is that the crowd can play a big part in how a game plays out. Um, you have to say that um, that evening, United fans got behind the team, even though that goal had been scored. Yeah, I mean, at Old Trafford, the the whenever the team used to score, the opposition scored, United, United ring out, and it yeah. did especially loudly that night. Uh-huh. And the one thing you would say about United is they set off playing as if the the score hadn't changed and they were just setting out to win the mm. game it was it, it was in some of those you know the champions league final in which the, in, in 2019 the the sting is taken out of a game instantly by a moment like that but not in this instant mm. united kept at it there was a belief within themselves possibly because of that game the previous season in which Ryan Giggs had you know made hay against them and Alex Ferguson had shifted his team around a bit uh, the loss of Keenan meant that he'd shifted midfield around. There'd been a three in midfield as opposed to the normal four-four-two. Ryan Giggs actually was playing through the centre at the start of the game, which previously, uh, the season before that, they played Porto, beating them 4-0. 
Giggs had played a central role in that game. That appeared to be where Alex Ferguson thought Giggs could do the most damage in Europe. And if you remember Giggs from that era, he was absolutely at his best in those European games against the better opposition. You watch Ryan Giggs on a Saturday afternoon against Derby County, you couldn't be sure that he was going to put in much of a performance. It almost seemed a little bit too easy for him. Those big games against those big opponents, he almost always turned up for them. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk more about uh, Manchester United 3, Juventus 2 after the break. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If I had an extra hour in the day, I might catch up on the latest football news, take a lovely walk with my dog Sammy, or maybe interview someone using an orange peel and a broken iPhone. You know, normal journalism stuff. But it's not always easy to prioritise our time, and that's where therapy can be an extra helping hand. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Untangle any unneeded worries and start to value your time for you. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Ramble. Welcome back, everybody, to Greatest Games. Um, yeah, so first minute, Manchester United have conceded. But as you say, uh, John, the crowd are thinking, right, come on, we, we don't want any more of those 1-0 losses again against this lot. And Manchester United, they up the tempo. And uh, they, they, they go back on the front foot and uh, and the game starts to play out. But you almost wonder if going behind that early helped them. Because yeah. there's, there's no sort of... Suddenly they're, they're not protecting anything. Yeah. So what, what, what have we got to lose? Mm. Uh, I mean, you, you, you know, obviously, you can go the other way, and sort of, you can think, "Oh, Christ, I'll never beat them." But yeah, the the, the sense, yeah, you know, watching it back, the sense I got was actually there's a bit of freedom there that the worst has already happened. That we've we've got to get at them, and that then forces you on the back foot. Yeah, and I think that Ferguson teams at their apex, and there's other managers like this. Rafa Benitez would be another that a lot of their best games are where things have gone a little bit wrong, and the shackles have to come off and. 
Ferguson's teams were always so attacking that it suited them to have to attack. And that once they get back into the game, and even before the goal they scored, the fact that they've got such a foothold in the game means that Juventus are already scrabbling around and you know that, well, you felt that if they equalised, they could actually go for the win. It, it, it was became a, ma- a matter of of when rather than if there was a goal disallowed for Sheringham, uh, which was for offside, and then eventually he scores a goal. And if it is well, right... I, w- I wonder if before we get the goal, I wonder if the substitution they had to make when Nicky Butts uh, had a had a migraine. Did he? Was that the yeah? Um, Nicky Butts suffered from migraines, so and it was something it, they thought might affect his career. So at the time. just after half hour, he's forced to go off, and Skulls comes on. Yeah. So it's probably the substitution they needed, but you'd never make that substitution in the first half unless you had to. So suddenly the, the midfield, which had been Butt and Jonsson with Beckham to the right and Giggs sort of central in front of those three, suddenly they get a proper creator in, in the middle. Yeah. And that's that's probably what they needed. Yeah, and Scholes obviously goes on to, to score and have a pivotal role, but it, it was, let's remember, of course, I mean, Paul Scholes went on to play 700 games for Manchester United, but at this point he wasn't quite an established member of the starting eleven. Well, I, I, I found it funny seeing him on the bench for that game because you, you think in your head... As soon as Paul Goals, Paul Scholes started playing football, well, he was legend. Start, you know, he was the best player in the team, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, he was on the bench for this game against Juventus, which after that season you'd think would be criminal to put him on a bench on the bench for a big European game. Well, funny enough, a lot of the games in the season after uh, Ferguson would favour Nicky Butt and Roy Keane, maybe uh, to, yeah, so to, yeah, to funny, lock uh, it down. I mean, Scholes' yeah. breakthrough is a, a little bit later than people remember. I think. And I'm one of those people, quite clearly. <laughs> Obviously you are, yeah. <laughs> Blimey, yeah. So, as you say, Jonathan, Skulls so, comes it, on. Yeah, and then uh, well, five minutes after that, the, the, the equaliser comes. And it's a, it's a beautiful goal, but a very strange goal. Hmm. I'm, I'm not sure Ryan Giggs meant that cross. <laughs> well, he did. I, I agree it, with you. It, so, it's the Sheringham wins the ball sort of just inside his own half, yeah. plays his big, you know, sweeping pass out to the left wing where Giggs does his Giggs thing of sprinting onto it in, in a... Yeah, very classical left-sided role for all that he was mainly playing through the middle. And then the cross he puts in is incredibly high and mm. incredibly deep. Mm. And if he's seen Sheringham's run, <laughs> it's quite extraordinary. I suspect he's trying to put it across and he's got underneath it a bit. But yeah. anyway, Sheringham comes comes in. He's got plenty of time because the ball's in the air for so long. And then it's a fantastic header. Oh, yeah. da- downward placed header but past the keeper and two players on the line. Juventus would be disappointed they didn't get that off the line, you would think. Maybe. Well, I, I, I prepared to give Sheringham a bit of credit and say enough time to measure the header. Yeah. And because he was running onto it, all the pace is already on the ball. Mm-hmm. He's not having to kind of get get power from his neck. All he has to do is get, you know, if that hits the right bit of his head, it's going to have enough pace in it. All he's got to do is place it. And it's such a good downward header. Mm. And you often see downward headers are too downward that they're then bouncing up by the time they get to the line. This one sort of bounces, I don't know, a yard or two in front of the line. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the two players there, it's, it's sort of an awkward height for them. Yeah, true. I, I, I was behind the goal oh, yeah. when he heads that. And I do remember it, like a sort of skidding, you know, they're, they're scrabbling around because it, it felt like he climbed really high to get there. Had to, due to Giggs's whatever it was, cross. <laughs> um, one of the things you forget maybe about Teddy Sheringham because he's always regarded as, you know, this really intelligent player of the ball is that he was a supreme header of the mm. ball. Um, and he'd learned that probably playing for Millwall <laughs> alongside Tony Cascarino. But, you know, th- there was somebody who, um, in the air, was at Manchester United, of course, in that era, um, 
in this game in particular, they cause a lot of problem to a team like Juventus who are not used to the ball being played in the air. David Beckham played a more central role in this game, but his crossing was excellent and Giggs's crossing was excellent and they really couldn't deal with it. Mm. So one all, there was a huge wave of optimism around Old Trafford. Oh yeah. And and as I said earlier about the sort of that sort of glass ceiling with Manchester United and Europe, I, I appreciate they did get to the semi-final of the season before, so they'd obviously gone deep in the competition. But I, I always felt that there was still that kind of, oh, we're not quite one of the big boys yet. We're There's still teams above us, still teams better. And that, that equaliser, and then obviously the way the game plays out, for me is them almost, for my money, punching through that ceiling. Yes. Yeah, and that's, that, that's, that's how it felt. I think the game was still played very much on the nerves because, remember, this is a team featuring a pre-injury Alessandro Del Piero, mm-hmm. featuring Zidane, uh, featuring Inzaghi, uh, you know, a very good player in Serie A who maybe didn't know that too much about at the time, but this is a t- team with a great threat. So the team's living on the nerves a bit, but the way that they were united at their best in that late 90s period some of the games were sort of frenzied in the way that they ran around and challenged people and I suppose I don't know Jonathan knows of it I don't know if you call that pressing but it's uh, you know it, of its time it was uh, yeah I mean it's not sort of a structured press as we think of it now but yeah. it, it was definitely there was an energy a willingness to put the opposition under pressure not to let them settle it wasn't control it was it was very English style yeah but it was it was too it wasn't as channeled yeah, as you'd perhaps want it to be. Two of the players that work hardest in the team will be Giggs and Beckham, yeah. who in a previous era, maybe five, six years before, would be luxury players in the team that would just expect to receive the ball. Mm. They would chase the ball all, all night. And that's what happened. And if, if we go to the goal that puts them ahead, mm. I think... Well, there's a red card first. Well, of course, oh, yes. Yes. So it's a 66 minutes. Uh, Deschamps pulls back Ronnie Johnson, gets a second yellow. But it, that, that's almost for an accumulation of Juventus fouls at that yeah, point. It, yeah. it's, there's so many fouls have gone in at that point that you, someone is going to be the fall guy. Deschamps goes, and of course, Deschamps was the master water carrier, as as Eric Cantona called him. A, you know, a, a supreme controller of midfield, though not in this game. In mm. this game, he'd been overrun. But those are moments. Of that, but they're, they're such key moments because you could quite simply say. You know, two sides going at it, obviously. Ah, but the sending off. Little wonder Manchester United then went on to win the game. Now, whether that's right or not, the fact is... No, but the is, sending off comes because of United's dominance. It's not the other way yeah, around. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. You, I think you, you often see that. But also... The red card can lead to one team dominating or it can be caused by one team dominating. This was definitely caused by United dominating. Uh, yes. Sure, and also as well, that the Manchester United, they were good enough to sit at the top table in Europe at, at, at that time. And they got the shackles off. And whether it was that... Okay, Obviously, Juventus going down at 10 men is is preferable, but get the result, get that kind of um, get that monkey off your back. Do you know what I mean? And 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 they obviously did, and that helped them go on with their belief. And Skull scores what three minutes later? Yeah, and it, it's I think that's when they believed that know, really yeah, turned and, the tide. And, and it was it was for me personally. Uh, you know, I was a Manchester United fan. It was a moment when I thought, hang on. These players can actually do that at this level. Yeah, that's and, that's and, what I'm saying. And and this this Skulls' finish, I think, is one of my favourite United goals because he's completely unhurried, he's completely calm, he's completely unfussed by the fact that he's going to score this goal against Juventus, probably the best team in the world at the mm. time. And that just showed me that at that point that Ferguson's mindset and Ferguson's breeding of these players was coming through. And Paul Skulls, as we said, was a, a player coming off the bench to do that. Um but I think 
Skull scored some very important goals for Manchester United. The one against uh, Barcelona in 2008 will probably be the, the, the most famous of them. But that was the one where I thought, there's a player who embodies mm. Manchester United's belief that they can that they can progress in Europe and beat beat the teams in Europe. And they kept mm. doing that for quite a long time after. They should have won more European Cups. We know that. Mm. But this was a moment where you just thought, they've got it. Yeah, I, I, watching the game, I, I totally agree. That was that moment where it was like, Oh bloody hell! They're they're now they're doing it, yes. as you say. And okay, you're right, Jonathan. Manchester United were dominant, and Juventus go down ten men, and they're there for the taking. But you've still got to take them. And yeah. I think that well, and the goal, you know, that goal's goal. It's, it's slightly odd in that there's a sort of just a scramble outside the box, and the ball's poked through. Ronnie Johnson's flick. Right, yeah, Ronnie Johnson plays it through, and then from this chaos, within sort of five eight yards of that bit of chaos. Their skulls utterly calm, taking it round Pertsy, and one of those it was a, as a fan, one of those great moments where you think, yeah, you know he's going to score yeah. half a second, second before he scores. You, you know, even even the biggest pessimist in you thinks there is no way this isn't a goal, uh, and yeah, you know, skulls created that calm from from nothing. Yeah, and then. The game carries on. Manchester United. Everyone seems to be having a good time in the stands. Yeah, it was yeah, an unbelievable night. And in that time, as I said, those European nights were very, very special when they played those teams like Barcelona, yeah. like Juventus, um, and and will continue to be so for a, a long time until well, probably until Alex Ferguson left the club. It it was always a special occasion, um, and. Yes, just, you know, because they've beaten the team who, you know, they're 2-1 up and Juventus are falling to pieces at this mm. point. You know, the, the, the tactical plans of Marcello Lippi are, are up in smoke and they're scrambling, there's still fouls going in and, you know, United could, and well, and eventually, I suppose, did take them to the cleaners. Mm. And, and and it was more of a statement that they didn't just try and hang on. Yeah. They went for it even more. And that gig's gone. To sort of wrap it up, I know Zidane scores after, but again, like you say, there's a player who epitomised what they're all about on those big European nights. He's full of energy, full of creativity, full of power and all the rest of it. Smashes one in past Peruzzi's near post. Yeah, and I think if you watch the TV commentary back, you, you hear a guy on a pitch side mic just shout out, go on, Ryan! <laughs> and, which is what everyone in the stadium is shouting as well. Mm. It, it embodies that moment. And... I think at that time, uh, you know, I used to watch United a lot and, you know, say you travel to Europe or whatever, fans in Italy and Spain would talk about gigs because on those nights, he would be sensational. Mm. I think that's one of those goals that cements his legend as such a good player well, in Europe. But he'd been brilliant in that 4-0 against Porto, hadn't he? I mean, I, yeah. I sort of, in retrospect, that sort of 4-0 against Porto, okay, it's only Porto, it's not... With Hilario in goals, living up to was his name. Was it really Hilario? Was, yeah. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Um, okay, that, that's like Diwali as well, I was about to say. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're, they're obviously not the level of a top German team or a top Italian team. But that 4-0 in retrospect was a big sign of, yeah, United are on the brink of something here. I think that's it. You're right. They were always on the brink. And I think that the United fans were great in those European um, ties, as you say, the giant United, United, when they go a goal down or, or you know, lose a goal. But that that night for me was when hope turned to belief. If you see what I mean. Yeah, yeah, and 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 it, it's strange, really, because if we're to look at the overall picture, this was a season in which United ended up not winning anything. Well, yeah, that's the odd thing about it. Yeah, um, and 
Alex Ferguson had to go back to the drawing board a, a little bit. And, you know, I talked before about how there wasn't much team money spent on the team in comparative sense, or compar- certainly compar- not compared to today. Hmm. Um, but they had, uh, they went out and they bought Dwight York, uh, Jasper Blomqvist, Yap Stam, and converted themselves into a team that could compete. And they had Roy Keane back as well. But this was a point where the team showed that it could do without Eric Cantona. It could even do without Roy Keane on certain occasions. And it showed that there was a collective spirit beyond individuals in the team. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, they eventually went out of the Champions League that season to Monaco. Yeah, uh, Goal scored... David Trezeguet at Old Trafford. Um, Five minutes in, wasn't it? Which had been very similar to the Dortmund game. But okay, that, that had been 2-0 in aggregate. This was mm-hmm. away goals. But the the early goal in the second leg at Old Trafford is what kills them. Yeah, and uh, funny enough, uh, we were watching this game back. Uh, a player who had quite a quiet game was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer mm. in this game, uh, who this second season at Manchester United hadn't gone as well as the first. Got hooked for Phil Neville just after half-time. yes. And uh, that summer, Spurs put in a bid for him, I think five and a half million. United accepted the bid and he decided that he didn't want to leave the club that he'd loved so much. And whatever happened to him? Yeah. <laughs> and would United long term have been better? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we can never ask for that. Uh, but but it's interesting because going into that Monaco game, like I say, for me it was like, Manchester United should win this. Whereas again, you would sort of think, okay, against we've talked about the Porto game, you think, well, you know, they've got a chance. And I remember Ferguson after the game saying, oh, I would have taken one nil because it was four, and then the second leg it yeah. just played out nil nil. I think it was. Mm. Uh, but it, against these teams like Monaco, like it was against Dortmund the previous year, you'd think, all right, well, maybe they can. They can. Whereas against Monaco, it was like, well, they should. And it was actually a real disappointment I mean to, to, to be fair there was a few injuries about I think Giggs at that point was missing and it, yeah. it just United um, having lost Keane started losing other players as well um, they were overtaken in the league by Arsenal at this point you know that was a great Arsenal team mm. as well um, and I think this is um, one of the high points of that sort of early Premier League era is that we start to see two great teams in English football for the first time in the Premier League era, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, even '99, it's easy to sort of forget how close things were. That you know, United end up winning the treble, but if Bergkamp doesn't have his penalty saved in the semi-final, mm. they don't win the FA Cup. You know, Arsenal threw away a little bit of a lead in the league. You know, all manner of things could have gone against them in the Champions League. So, in a sense, the luck that went against them at key points in this season, they get back. Yeah. The following season, but but I think also one uh, I talked before about how difficult it was in the Champions League for English teams. I remember Arsenal qualified for the Champions League that season, and everyone's there was a certain sense of like, well, they'll show United how it's done in the Champions League. You know, United have struggled in the Champions League, but Arsenal found it even more difficult than United did. But it showed just. The step up to Champions League level yeah. from the Premier League was so high at that point. Mm-hmm. It really was a huge step up. And this game was one of the greatest leaps that I think United took. Which obviously, as you said, in the next season, they went on to win the, the whole competition. I mean, in those games, Ferguson would, would, would learn quite a lot about this team and, and tactics. I mean, how do you think with, with Ferguson, what did he do other than the signings, of course, what, what do you think were the major difference between, say, that season, the Champions League, and one or two of the previous ones to the one where they actually won it? The belief was obviously important, as we said. 
I, I, I mean, I suppose he, he, he actually he would sign players. He signed a player like Dwight York. I, I think Ferguson, in a sense, was was lucky with his signings at times, um, and he'd also had a group of players who played at the very apex that next season. If you think about United's run to the Champions League, how often was the goal scored? Uh, it would be across from uh, David Beckham, mm. Dwight York had a Manchester United 1-0 up that season. I think York scored 29 goals that season. Well, the game against Inter, was it? Yes, and Skulls scored the deciding goal in that. Yeah. Skulls came off the bench in that. So you've actually got something where he's forming a squad. Now, of course, at that time, teams didn't really have squads. They had a first 11. A few other players could drop in and out. But he, he, he was forming a, a sort of collective of a type that, you don't, you, I mean, of a type that I suppose you could probably compare more to Liverpool at the moment now than Manchester City, who have a much bigger squad. Um, I, I mean, Jonathan knows much more about this than I do. Ferguson is not one of football's great tacticians. Uh, but well, it, it was I, a, I think it, that's slightly... Yeah, he's certainly not one of the great tactical philosophers. Uh, I think he needed a good number two. I mean, I think when Keros was there, the tactics changed yeah. significantly. I mean, yeah, they they had this huge problem for a long time of letting in goals at home, yeah. which in Europe, really, because of the away goal, really Would bothered them. You, yeah. So the Dortmund game the previous season, the Monaco game this season, even this Juve game were behind after a minute. Yeah. Um, and that's a problem that actually goes on. You know, the the Barcelona game in the treble season is incredibly open. Uh, I can't remember exactly when the goals were scored, but, you know, it, they conceded three. It was a deluge. Well, they had, they had the lead and I mean, they were back. It's a brilliant yeah. game, but it's a very open game. And then you know, this sort of comes to a head with the uh, the game in 2000. Against Real Madrid. Against Real Madrid, when they draw 0-0 in Madrid, seem to have done the hard work, and find themselves 3-0 down just after half-time uh, yeah. at Old Trafford. And they get it back to 3-2, and actually on the balance of the game, probably should have won it. Ryan but, Giggs amazing again, yeah. Yeah, Karanka should have been sent off for handball on the line. But, but you know, it's... Roy Keane scores a ludicrous own goal. You know, well, there's a whole series of things went against him in that game. But by being open, they left themselves vulnerable to that kind of thing. Because even in the Deportivo La Coruña game, the f- was it the following season or two seasons later? 2001-2, I think that so was. Two, yeah, two seasons later. And it's sort of it's after that when Kieros comes in that they, they really change how they approach this kind of game. And rather, you know, the attitude had sort of been, okay, we'll have 20 shots, you can have six or seven, and more than not, we'll beat you. But the problem with that is maybe it finishes 1-1 and that puts you out because of your away goal. Mm. And so it changed, you know, the mentality changes to you'll have no shots and we'll have four or five and that's fine. I mean, I say from from a neutral point of view, I was absolutely fine with it. Yeah, (laughs) Great entertainment. (laughs) I think one of the things is that quite quite often in these games, and this happened in the Champions League fairly in 99, uh, is that Ferguson would come up with a master plan and then have to rip it up. And I think one Mm. of the things is that his teams were adaptable to those changes. So in this game, Nicky Butt has to go off. He has to, the, the, the sort of 4-3-3 that he's messed around with, he has to pretty much rip that up and go back to almost like a 4-4-2. Uh, in the Champions League final, he, he, you know, 18 months later or whatever, um, he's cho- chosen gigs off the right and, you know, David Beckham in centre midfield and all this. And he, he would come up with these complex stratagems and he actually wasn't very good at them. But it was, he had the ability to, to change something uh, and he make, would make very simple changes in in matches where you would say, okay, that guy there is getting is getting joy against our team. You stand in front of him. It was actually quite simplistic. Mm. There was no great you know theoretical um, you know treatises about it. It was just 
okay, make that change. And that's, I suppose, that's down to the fact that Ferguson had been in the game for so long and had watched so many games that he didn't really feel the need to, I don't know, philosophize in the way yeah, that you, you get so often. You don't have to philosophize. You know, you can know the game without having one great unifying theory. You can, yes. you can be pragmatic and, and you can adapt yourself. Yeah, Fabio Capello. Yeah, you can't say there was one formation and one style of play that suited Capello. He he changed one of the players he had. If a team that won the title with Roma was incredibly different to the team that he yeah. won titles with at Real Madrid or with AC Milan. You know, it's. Uh, but do you think that's a, a a big change in managers, say, of of Capello and Ferguson's generation to those now? And it's almost as if you have your your Guardiola's, you have your Klopp's. Maybe Pochettino, not so much, but that they have, have a, they feel they have to have a certain yeah maybe and maybe maybe even it's the fact of having to do a coaching certificate you actually have to write a, a dissertation on something and maybe that by default becomes your your set style. But I think I think Ferguson would argue that he did that stuff. I think he was the youngest guy to ever qualify in Scotland, and he yeah, but it's a, it's different to what you asked to do at Cristiano. Yes. You know, it's a. I mean, I guess Ancelotti is somebody who is very flexible, although he you know, he he wrote his dissertation on a. On the four three two one, which he did use at, at Milan in his first iteration. Yeah, I mean Ferguson is incredibly flexible. Yes, with, with his tactics, you could say. But I mean, if you if you're saying what is Ferguson's strength, it's man management, it's ruthlessness, it's mm. calling people when they they've ceased to be useful. But the tactics are yeah, it's not he's bad at tactics. For all he made certain mistakes with his grand plans in certain key mm. games, but yeah, tactical acuity is is pretty low on the list of things he was good at. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, he got them over the line that night anyway. <laughs> he did. <laughs> and, uh, of course, the next season, as we said, well, they went on to win the treble. Uh, John, pleasure talking to you. Uh, yeah, I really game. enjoyed it. Thanks. Really good. Uh, thank you very much, everybody, for listening to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with The Blizzard. For more stories like this, do check out The Blizzard, of course. We're back next week from an, uh, with another cracker from uh, the annals of time from football. We'll see you then. Was a Stakhanov production.